0: This is Anthony Areno and you're listening to In the Arena. This episode of In the Arena is sponsored by Selling Power magazine and my good friend Gerhard Schwatner, who sounds a little bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And if you ask him to do an imitation, I promise it will be worth your time at sellingpower.com forward slash Anthony. You're going to get a special offer where you will get selling power magazine for the low price of $29 for 12 issues. That's a subscription price. You'll also get three free eBooks. You're going to learn proven selling tactics. You're going to learn sales strategies and you're going to learn motivation. You're going to have a toolkit to look at. You're going to get ideas out of this that you can put to work immediately in your sales game and do better. And you're going to learn a lot about mindset because that's the thing that Gerhard is on to right now more than anything. Sellingpower.com forward slash Anthony. You'll find that in the show notes and say hi to our friends at Selling Power. This episode, I've got a special guest, Sean Murphy. Sean is the CEO and co-founder of Switch and Shift. You can find that at SwitchandShift.com. And Sean writes about the space where business and human interests intersect. He's a promoter of workplace optimism, and he came to my attention through some friends who have turned me on to his work, and particularly his new book, The Optimistic Workplace, which just came out uh, at the end of last year. Sean believes that work can be a source of joy, and I agree with him completely. I think if you bring yourself to the work, if you give yourself over, and if you have a team of people that can do that together. You can have a wonderful work environment. So with no further ado, Sean Murphy in the arena. Hi, Sean, how are you? I am well
1: and and you and we were just commenting in the pre-show or in the green room as some (laughs) podcasters say how we've got the same haircut.
0: Except I'm way tighter than you. You've got like a day's growth. Uh, two two days growth, yeah. Two days, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't let it get that long. That's long hair now. You're like a hippie. You <laughs> just start braiding it, right? You Got the sole patch and the the little stubble.
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. Not that hip. I tried going without it, and I just didn't care for it. So it, it's it stayed, and I don't even know how long it's been. It's been it's beyond two hands.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's longer than me. Yeah. There's no reason to fight it. At some point you realize you've lost and you just go with it. Well, that, that's when I shaved the head because I was yeah. like, I'm spending way
1: too much money for very little hair. It's gone. Yeah, And no no looking back.
0: Well, thank you for being here. And I love the, the topic of your book um, because I love the idea about mindset and optimism. And mostly when I speak about that or I write about it, I'm doing it at an individual level. And and to me, it's the individual where all the action is. And then your book comes along and you've taken and said, it's not about the individual by themselves, though. It's inside this workplace where all of this starts to matter and all of it starts to create this culture and this climate where results can be produced. So I want to ask you some questions about that. And then we'll get to the James Lipton like uh, speed <laughs> round at the end. So let me Sounds ask good. you at the beginning of this, why did you write the book, The Optimistic Workplace? What, what, what was the the catalyst for that? Yeah so a couple of things. So on the first
1: the first reason is I had my own experience where work was uh a, a drainer for me and it became this this unfortunate and unhappy uh experience and I didn't want others to experience that themselves. And then on top of that you have the, the, there's plenty of data showing how unhappy people are in their workplace, how engaged they are in the workplace. Uh, you know, the, the trust levels in management is low. So there's just a, a litany of dystopian-like reasons. And I thought, you know, there, is, there are organizations out there who are doing this right. And I think we need another side of this conversation.
0: And so there's a, I mean, you. It's almost the, this idea that you you started talking about the dystopian, like people are still marching into a coal mine. It's not the physical coal mine where they're covered in soot and they're right. miserable in the dark, but it's the psychological coal mine where it, it, it's not a pleasant place to be and it's not fulfilling. And it is, it is something, uh, something else. So I'll, I'll I'll weave this into a question for us. So. There's a lot of people in business today who still believe that we call it work for a reason, Sean. I mean, mm-hmm. we pay you to do it because it is drudgery. And and then you have this idea in the book that you, you can also point to other people who have written this and I think you do in the book about people experiencing joy at work. And so just using the word joy, I think, is sort of supercharged from the beginning. Joy I mean, that's a big (laughs) word. It's more than like, I just need them to be happy and I need them to be engaged. You need them to be joyful. So (laughs) tell me, why is it important that people experience joy at work?
1: So to experience joy at work means that there is a, a level of satisfaction that you're getting from that work. You know, we spend... Gallup says a third of our life. I think we spend more than that at work, but let's just go with Gallup's number. We spend a third of our life at work, and we spend most of our waking hours working. To have it be marked by something other than joy or optimism or uh, you know some level of happiness, I think is a, 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 it suggests that. We have a a black eye in this big part of our life, which is called work. And yeah, there are those who think work is that it's work and you you get paid for showing up and doing it. And there will, I think, always be room for that. But there's a prevailing wisdom that says "Mm, there needs to be more. And so... Let's look for joy and joy has some psychological benefits as well. It's not just a nice touchy-feely, oh, let's just label this joyful, that there are, uh, there's plenty of research now showing that the, the psychological benefits of joy help us actually perform at higher levels. And that's what's intriguing to me is how can we get people to perform at a higher level and get something out of value out of that other than just you know the paycheck it's 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 meaningful work it's good relationships it's uh, having an opportunity to influence something that is important to the organization and to customers
0: and it's a it's a sense of belonging and a Absolutely. sense of meaning i mean and i think that people th- those are deep human needs that you need to belong and you need to have meaning in what you're doing and And the drudgery in my mind comes because we don't give people that we tell them what to do and we tell them how to do it, but we don't spend a lot of time telling them why to do it and how it brings meaning and then how, how to have it in a way that, um, that work is actually interesting and engaging for your whole self. And we'll talk some more about that as we go through a couple more questions here for you. Great. So let let me take you to the other side of this, because as I was reading your book, um, This is a reaction to something. I mean, the book is a reaction to bad behaviors. And Mm. uh, I may be the first one to say that to you like that, because I can see your face, no one else can. We're on a podcast. But yeah, so the book is a reaction. And so this next chapter in the book starts out with the destructive behaviors that leaders exhibit. And you've had those experiences because I read some of them in the book. So what are these destructive behaviors? If you were going to warn leaders listening to this to say, How do you know that you have the destructive behaviors that are going to destroy the opportunity to have an optimistic workplace, to have some place where people could find meaning and belonging and have a joyful experience? What are the top couple? You have a long list in the book. So by the way, if you're a leader and you think you're clean, you may want to look through (laughs) and see because it's kind of a long list.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, So do you want me to talk about the symptoms or... uh, Yeah, well, why don't we talk about the symptoms? Sure. Um, So (laughs) when I wrote the book, I have to say that the early copy did not have any of these destructive management components to it. Um, But when we went back and looked at what could make it better, it was, we we had to take an honest look at a couple of things one is is there such thing as too much optimism which there's a chapter about that and then the other piece is these destructive management practices uh so one of the one of the symptoms of destructive management is what i call profit myopia and for all of us in business we know that profit is is has been king, right? Because we can't serve our customers if we don't have the revenue to be able to do that. We can't pay our employees who dedicate their time without profit. But what But what? like Simon Sinek has planted the seed in so many people's heads, he's like, no, profit's an outcome, right? right. Profit is an outcome of what you're doing to be able to generate value for your customers or your shareholders or your stakeholders. And when we focus solely on profit as the reason why what we end up doing is we we rob the the experience of work of anything that is meaningful you know it's like why are you doing this well because we need to get a better return on our investment or shareholders are looking for uh you know a penny increase which equals millions of dollars
0: you you you're not compelled by making rich shareholders richer? Is that what you're uh, saying?
1: You, you, no, I I I admittedly I am not driven by money, right? I am much more uh I'm driven more by impact. However, as a business owner, I am driven by profit because we've got to be able to like I said, there there are responsibilities that we have. Um but I think when we look at this thing called life and we spend so much of that time working, I think a business has a responsibility to be able to say, all right, let me help make this experience something more than just you know, clocking in and clocking out. And uh, when we can bring the business practices together around generating profit, you know, operation, sales, whatever, with and marry that with, how do we get people to perform at their best to fulfill their potential? I think that marriage is far more interesting than just this pursuit of profit. Which, by the way, I have an MBA, so I'm trained in all of that stuff. Um, but it's, to me, personally, it's boring as hell. You know, it's, it's like, it's mechanical. But how do you get people to want to give their time to what the organization is pursuing
0: that's a far more interesting question to me because then far you... more difficult question. Absolutely. You know what? what's interesting about what I'm hearing you say is that, and, and this is a, just a core belief I have, is it's just the order that you put these things. It's not that profit's mm. not important. And it's right. not that the shareholders, the people who invest in a company shouldn't get a return on their investment. It's just what order do you value those things? And if it's you say a, I value shareholders and profit above people, that's when the bad decisions and the the profit myopia start, starts to creep in and cause people to say, we need to do this because it serves this this outcome and not not right. the other outcome. And I think, and you've r- written this in the book, it's sort of when we get hooked uh, on that and we get wrapped around the axle on that, that these bad behaviors start to suck the life out of, That's right. uh, out of the people that are doing that work. That's
1: right. And, and yeah, I think you place uh, a cap on performance, right? You, you really just limit... What the organization can do when there is a continued uh, decrease in valuing the the potential of what people can do, uh, you know, at some point we become alienated. Like, yeah, I'm here because I'm making the guy upstairs richer, right? And we've seen time and time again uh, CEOs who make millions in bonus, but the company's underperforming. It's like wait a minute, I'm down here getting my mediocre 2% pay increase working 50 plus hours a week for what? For you? It's like more and more people are raising their hands saying, this isn't making sense to me. There's a We need a different dynamic interaction.
0: You lead me right into the next question with that because I'm going to ask you, how do you align work with purpose and meaning? And the, the I want to frame this up in another way though because... Uh, right now, I think a lot of people are jaded. A lot of people have come out of environments where purpose and meaning didn't matter and it wasn't a joyful place and it was drudgery and they didn't have a great leader that cared about them and invested in them personally. And so now I think even companies that want to make a shift and your book outlines what to do in 30 days, what to do in 60 days, what to do in 90 days, if you want to become an optimistic workplace. But but how do you deal with this? Because I think you're automatically suspect now when you hire somebody because they assume they're gonna be treated the way that they were in the past and they're jaded. So how do you align it when you've got a group of people who have come out of places where they may not have the trust yet because they have right. not yet had that experience?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. In fact, I uh, the company that I was with in San Francisco yesterday, at least in this time that we're recording this, uh, I was talking with the CEO and she said, and they're known to have a really strong, people-friendly culture.
0: They were all happy in the picture, the selfie you took with them. <laughs> I were. saw that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I love hanging around creative types, in they're marketing and PR, so you know they're creative in in their work. But she told me she said some of the folks that are in their agency, and they're a PR marketing firm. Uh, they've come from the big. Big guys, and they're listening to what she's saying and going, Really? You're gonna, you really want to create an environment where we have optimism. You really care about what I think. You really don't want me to undermine my colleague for the sake of profit. Um, And I think what the lesson there is for those leaders who have employees coming in who are suspect of this, which, by the way, expect that, right? Because most of us don't come from environments where, you know, optimism is part of the conversation. I think as a leader, what you need to do is you need to move forward still with your plans to create optimism um, with the anticipation of people watching you going, do you really mean this? And analyzing your very words and behaviors and looking for incongruencies in your actions and your words. Um, So I think as a leader, you've got to be very specific in your conversations around why you're doing this and make it a collaborative effort. If you think that you can do this on your own, you're sorely one, you're missing the point that this is not about what you as a leader can do to help them, quote unquote. This is about what we can do as a team to be able to produce greater results and get fulfillment from the work that we're doing in the process.
0: This is like, you read my questions, which you didn't because I didn't send them to you. So you have no, no. Way of knowing. We're marching straight through them um, and, and you just keep leading us right into the next question. So there's, there's this conversation in the book about leaders and it, the chapter on values opens up with a quote about the values of the leader are more important than their role or their title or their, or their experience. And it's interesting because we hire people for their ability to lead and their experience. And then the, the chapter is about seeing those values in action. And, and that's what the test is for you. It's not going to be, can you talk the talk? It's going to be, can you walk the walk? And what does this look like and feel like in here? So. Mm-hmm. So, why are values the right the right answer for a leader when it comes to creating this culture in an optimistic workplace?
1: Well, values are uh, the rudder, and I think in the book I say the anchor. And I've kind of since thought more about it. And values are the rudder; they guide your actions. And when we are clear about what our values are, and my experience in, in working with organizations and in leaders is that they have an intuitive sense about their values, but they've never really defined them or articulated and defined them. So when they're articulated and defined, it helps you guide through the the, the sewage that you're going to run into in doing this work. It's also going to help you make decisions that support who you are. You know, business is messy. Being a human being, being a human being is messy. We are encountering, we encounter situations that are going to challenge our own ethics and what's right for the company versus what's right for the organization. And you need something to ground yourself when you have to make those choices. And I think values are a key part to that. That you can say, yeah, at the end of the day, this may not have been the most popular choice, but I feel good about the choice in part because of I'm, st- I'm c- congruent with what I believe. Now, you could argue and say, well, what if your values are uh, you know, to be selfish, right? Or something to that effect. Um, the values that we're talking about here aren't about how to make yourself better, but how to, make, um, how to create the best outcome, whether it be in business or otherwise
0: i want to, um I wanna ask one more question about the book, and we'll get into the speed round but i i wanna I just worry about the idea of optimism and the happy talk kind of yeah um, the feeling when people they see the blue cover and they see optimistic <laughs> workplace and they see you and your big smile, and they're like, Wait a second, you know what wh- how does this produce business results so they think the hard stuff is profit and the soft stuff is optimism. And I've read Tom Peters for years and who always says the soft stuff is the hard stuff and the hard stuff is the soft stuff and you got it backwards. And I think that that's right. So tell me the impact of an optimistic workplace on employee engagement and then the translation to profit, because you do tackle this in the book without without any reservation about profit not being important or being part of this equation. So speak speak to um, the, the result for the people who are. I'm a hard businessman, Sean. I right. need to know how does this translate for me as a business outcome?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer that with uh, uh, an example. So one of the companies that's featured in the book is Luck Companies. Luck Companies is, uh, they're in Virginia and they're an aggregate business. So they say they make little rocks out of big rocks. They're a blue collar organization predominantly. Um, and when you look at the work that they do it's split between blue collar and white collar yet their employee engagement levels are in the low 90s which is far cry ahead of most organizations
0: shockingly high
1: yeah shockingly high Um, from the mechanic to the vp there's high engagement levels and what this Correlation is, and I don't remember the numbers right off the top of my head, but they are a hugely profitable organization, in part because what is driving this high engagement level isn't this, uh, um, you know, efficient processes and clear policies. Those are part of the business, but there's a huge element of values based leadership. It's a part of their everyday. Uh, Cultures, So the the mechanics will literally get in a circle and talk about a value and how that is guiding their work. Um, And these employees, what they're experiencing is greater fulfillment in work and that they're seeing the benefits of their uh, personal lives improved. So what you have are employees who are more clear on why they need to do what they need to do. And as a result, they're one of the top East Coast uh, uh, aggregate companies in the US. So for those who are looking for the connection of these, these ethereal like ideas to tangible business outcomes, we know that companies are more profitable when they have higher engaged employees. We know that now companies who have these, these inputs that create optimism lead to greater engagement, which lead to profit. So it's, it's, it's you have to be willing to step back and look at... It's not just what we accomplish, but it's how we get there that really makes a big difference in these tangible business outcomes that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, I, I, I love that. It's really about who we are and why we do what we do. And then everything follows the what and the how comes after. Right. it just makes it a, a different a different approach. Thank you for that. Now I'm going to get into the the personal stuff to let people into your mind a little bit. Um, scary, so, yeah. You don't have to be afraid. It's fine. <laughs> so tell me, what are you reading right now? What's the book that you're into? There are a couple.
1: One I'm reading. A friend of mine is David Burkus, and his book under new management, um, looking at the the management practices. Uh, the new management practices today. Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf here. Uh, another one is, um, got to put my glasses on. It's Jeff Colvin's uh, Humans Are Underrated.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I just started reading that. I I don't read much fiction as, and I need to just to give myself a mental break from all this business stuff.
0: It's good for you. I read way too much nonfiction too. What's the most important book you've ever read and why?
1: The most important, yeah, um, that's it is The Future of Management from Gary Hamill. Okay, great book. Um, the reason why is it really it served as a lightning rod for me around this whole notion that business isn't just about the balance sheet, that it is also about how do we tap into the human potential to be able to generate the value that the business is set up to create.
0: We don't even tap human potential at uh, a micro level. I mean, no. we're, we're far off. Who Who's the person that's had the biggest influence on your thinking? We'll have to say Amy Tobin, right? I mean, we here, so she's going to listen
1: to this. <laughs> Absolutely, Amy Tobin, uh, Amy McCloskey Tobin. Um, aside from Amy, I, you know, I, I'm going to say, in this, and this is a somewhat surprising answer for me. I've, I've never had to think about this, Anthony. Um, my dad. And what's surprising about that is my dad and I, for most of my life, were not close at all. And then um, as fate had it, I got tired of him not being around and I called him up and I said, look, whatever happened in the past has happened in the past. I miss having you around at the holidays. I miss celebrating your birthday and so on and so forth. And it was shortly after that that he was diagnosed with several types of cancer and almost didn't make it. And what he teaches me is... How important it is to be Henri, because he is not willing to to uh to just lay down and let the cancer take over he is he is running full board into life and uh making amends with people that he's had horrible relationships with um deepening relationships with people that he's had uh, strong relationships with in the past and that to me is just a great reminder of um putting what's important and 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 living close to that what's
0: in, what's interesting to me about watching you say this is um this is a deeply personal thing that you just shared you had the courage to go first and and I I don't want people mm-hmm. to miss that you you recognized the gap and you stepped into it knowing that there could be a positive or a negative impact from what you did but you had the courage to go first and say I'm putting all the past behind us and now we're stepping into this. And then maybe that helped him have the courage to go back to some of those relationships because mm. you, you did that maybe, maybe I, I, I know he's very proud of
1: what I've accomplished in life. And, um and, you know, that makes me smile, not because of the accomplishments, but because we get to, ex- we get to have that exchange between us. Yeah. Um And, you know, he's, he is, the other cool thing is i've learned a lot about how much i'm like him and so i have this new insights into myself that i didn't have prior to rekindling this relationship with him
0: it's funny because as a as a a a man you go through this thing of separating the identity and not wanting you know you have to be your own self and then at some point you realize wow i'm way more like that person than i thought i was there you go what's the most <clears throat> What's the biggest and most important life lesson that you've learned? Oh,
1: good question. I think it's uh, it's okay to pivot when you. How do I say this? Maybe let me give the example. So, in junior high school, I was tall. That wasn't really that tall. I was thin and geeky and awkward. At the end of my junior I just or my uh, at the end of junior high school I said to myself I want to be popular. And I'm going to go to a different school. So I went to a different school and I was popular. What that proved to me was when I say something, I can make it happen. And it sounds so cheesy as I say that, but, and I don't mean it like, if I wanna make a million dollars, I can make a million dollars. I think it's like, I've taught, I learned that I can put my mind to something and I can make it come to be. I hadn't known that prior to that.
0: You learned it earlier than a lot of people. <laughs> what, what you believe and conceive in your mind, you can manifest in your life. Yeah, yeah, even yeah. a million dollars—that's a great life lesson. Yeah, the only thing I learned when I was at that age between junior high and high school was that I loved ac Back in Black album, and then all <laughs> kinds of shenanigans that go around in living in that world. Um, if you weren't writing and speaking and consulting, what job would you be doing? Teacher. You. I a love teacher being, now. So you- I I love being in the classroom. What do you hope to be remembered for? I, I I want
1: to be remembered for the 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 silent moments that helped people. Um, when I ran into a friend from high school, you know, like so many friendships in high school, we just forget about them. And one of the things she said she said to me was, "When you decided to run for junior class president, you and I won, you inspired me to think that I could do things like that as well. I love the fact that I didn't know that until that moment, but I had that silent impact on her. Um, and I want people to I would love for people to remember." those those moments of impact and just go, yeah, that was great, something that we shared.
0: That's awesome. Thanks so much for coming onto the show. I appreciate it, Sean, it's great to meet you here too.
1: Likewise, Anthony, we've run around in very similar circles for years, so it's nice to actually, you know, I get to see you.
0: And now we're closing the circle.
1: We have closed the circle.
0: He is Sean Murphy from Switch and Shift, and The Optimistic Workplace. You can find both of those links in the show notes. I am Anthony Annarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com. When you go there, you will be accosted by a pop-up that insists that you sign up for my newsletter so that I can send you one piece of long-form content every Sunday that you can put to work in your sales and your business and your success game every Monday morning. That's it for this episode. I look forward to seeing you back here next time in the arena.